that the odds against finding it are far steeper than your chances of winning at a Las Vegas roulette table. To look for a shipwreck is at best a crapshoot, and to launch and fund a search, it helps to be either the headmaster of the village idiot school, or else the kind of stubborn lunatic who tries to walk through walls simply because they're in the way. I probably fall into the latter group. The defeats are frustrating, but the occasional successes inspire us to sail onward. Some of them we've described in the first Sea Hunters. Some of them are in this audiobook, though they're not all successes, as you'll discover. But probably the most satisfying one of all was the discovery of the Confederate submarine Hunley and her heroic crew hidden in the silt of Charleston, South Carolina. I was convinced she had to be there, even though several NUMA search expeditions had failed to find her, and I simply refused to give up. The story of her discovery was told in the first Sea Hunters, after running 1,154 miles of search lanes, dragging a magnetometer sensor, an anomaly that indicated the mass and dimensions of the Hunley was finally discovered. Marine surveyor Ralph Wilbanks and marine archaeologists Wes Hall and Harry Peccarelli III then excavated and made a positive identification of the long-lost sub. What couldn't be told then was what happened afterwards. Due to the efforts of South Carolina State Senator Glenn McConnell and of Warren Lash, who launched the Friends of the Hunley and acquired the funds to raise and preserve the vessel so future generations may view the craft that became the first submarine in history to sink an enemy warship, the Hunley was raised from the water. The day she was lifted from her watery shroud of 28 feet and saw the sun for the first time in 136 years was a sight no one who was present will ever forget. The recovery team, the true unsung heroes in the drama, labored for months in round-the-clock shifts, excavating and building a truss around the hull so that it could be lifted onto a barge. This was no easy feat, especially when it was found that the sub was filled with silt that quadrupled its weight. The international salvage companies who performed the magnificent recovery effort and directed the lift were Oceaneering and the Titan Corporation. When the moment came, the lifting cables became taut, and the little submarine began to rise from the silt where she had lain so long. There was hushed expectation from the divers, engineers, and the thousands of people who had gathered in hundreds of boats for the landmark event. Every eye was on the huge crane that stood on the great salvage barge, its own great pilings driven into the sea bottom. When the sub's dripping hull, supported by the truss and foam cushions, appeared under a cloudless blue sky, Cheers, whistles, and air horns shattered the early morning air, while the stars and bars of the Confederacy flew from a forest of masts. Standing on the press boat and leaning over the railing, I felt an indescribable thrill. Finally, I would lay eyes on her. My son Dirk, friend and co-writer Craig Durgo, and I had hoped to dive on her soon after Ralph, Wes, and Harry made the discovery, but several days of rough water beat us out. By then it was too late. A Charleston press conference was scheduled to announce the discovery, and we could not venture to the site again for fear of giving away her location to shady Civil War artifact collectors, who were already offering $5,000 for a hatch cover and $10,000 for the propeller to anyone who would dive the wreck and remove them. The Hunley hung, poised and elegant, coated in rust and ancient sea life that had attached to her iron plates before the silt covered her entirely. She was gently lowered onto a smaller barge and then towed by two tugboats on her final belated voyage into Charleston Harbor. 
Flags on Fort Sumter were lowered to half-mast as reenactors in authentic Civil War uniforms, both Union and Confederate, shot volleys to the sky, accompanied by muzzle-loading cannon, whose salutes filled the air with puffs of black powder smoke. Women lined the shore wearing antebellum dresses, nine of them wearing black in honor of the submarine's nine dead crew. Thousands of spectators lining the shores cheered as the barge with its precious cargo and the fleet of pleasure craft made their way past the town battery and up the Cooper River to the old Navy Yard. The men behind the project had pulled off an amazing feat. The entire operation had gone as smoothly as a ticking clock on the dashboard of a Rolls-Royce. A crane lifted the sub off the barge onto a rail car that carried her to the Warren Lash Conservation Center, where she will spend the next several years in a tank. Here, during her preservation process, her hull plates will be removed so the interior can be excavated and all artifacts and the crew's remains.